Previously on Missing Richard Simmons. You were telling me last time that you drove by once and you went and knocked on the door. And they did tell him that I was there, but it didn't make a particle of difference. She realized I was in the house. She started screaming like a witch. No, 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 get out, get out, get out. I said, really? Is she controlling your life now? And he said yes. And she's really devoted her entire life to Richard. And I don't know what has really been in it for her. It's also, at some point, it's just silliness. Like, Julian Assange would at least come out and tell me himself that he didn't want to talk to me. His brother, he's only living family, and he lives in New Orleans. In my opinion, his brother should take more control of the situation. Yeah, hey, Tom, Dan Taberski calling. How are you? Good, how are you? Remember Tom Esty? Oh, yeah, Richard's publicist. I, w- I sent him an audio message. I was wondering if you, th- if you know if he heard it. I have no idea. Uh, did you hear it? Um, nope. Oh, I sent it to you. He's not, he's not, he's not doing any press, so yeah. he's not doing anything. I've done everything I can do. There's nothing I can do, and I'm in the midst of a, of a crisis with a client, so I wish I could talk longer. I just can't, but he's received everything, and he's just not going to do it. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, good luck with your crisis. I hope it goes okay. All right, thank you. All right, bye. I think somebody likes me. This is Missing Richard Simmons, Episode 4, Till the Day I Die. Show of hands, who here thinks I'm going to talk to Richard through his publicist? Yeah, me neither. So, who else is there? After spending an obscene amount of time investigating this, we are pretty confident that excluding people on his payroll, there are two people Richard Simmons is still talking to. Two. The first is a guy named Elijah. I won't tell you his last name, but he lives in Mississippi, and he's an old friend of Richard's. There's even a whole chapter about him in one of Richard's books. And if his Facebook page is any indication, he seems really tight with Richard's maid, Teresa. So, Henry and I flew down to Mississippi to see if Elijah would talk to us. Henry stayed in the car. Be nice. Be yourself. Pick one. There he goes. Now he's knocking on the door. Oh, he answered the door. Elijah looks like he's smiling. I kind of feel like an idiot sitting in the car talking to myself. All right, I think Elijah's going back inside and closing the door. And Dan is smiling and walking back. Okay. What happened? He did not slam the door in my face, which makes him my new best friend. Yeah. He was super nice. Um, I think he was making excuses. Um, he basically said that he just got back from Los Angeles and that he was having a busy few days and um, and that he has to go pick up his nephew from the airport and all, just all this stuff. And anybody who says they're having like a crazy day in Mississippi just feels a little not true. Okay, that was rude. My comment, not the bleep. The bleep was to protect his privacy. But I was right about him. We made a plan to meet up with him that evening and he bailed on us. But in the loveliest possible way. I think he just believes he's doing the right thing for his friend by not talking to me. And there's nothing wrong with that. So that leaves the second person Richard is still talking to. His brother, Lenny. Or 
if you're a big reader? Prince Benny said, You know him as Prince Benny from King Rich and the Evil Witch. Lenny still lives in New Orleans, where he and Richard grew up. So we're going down there to try and find him and see if he can help. But also, New Orleans is a big part of who Richard Simmons is. So while we're there, we're also going to look back into Richard's past. And he has a history that is, unsurprisingly, full of surprises. But before we do that, we got to talk about something else. Remember Richard's friend, Morrow, from the last episode? Well, for two years, he was pretty tight-lipped about all his suspicions, about Teresa and the black magic stuff and his fears for Richard. But then, in March of last year, he agreed to talk to that reporter, Andy, from the Daily News. Remember him? Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What? Wait, what did you just say? That is how Andy reacted to a lot of what Morrow had to say. And once his article came out, it was how everyone reacted. And it got enough attention that Richard had to say something. So he called in to the Today Show. Savannah, it's Richard Simmons. How are you? I'm good, Richard. How are you? To take you back to that moment, that was the first proof anyone had had in over two years that he was even alive. So for his friends, it was a big deal at first. But there was no Richard to see, only the voice on the phone. And frankly, it just raised more questions. Here's some of what he said. First, he addressed the allegations about Teresa. That's just very silly. Today, Soto Dallas has been with me for 30 years. It's almost like we're a married couple. No one is holding me in my house as a hostage. You know, I do what I want to do, as I've always done. So people should sort of just believe what I have to say, because, like, I'm Richard Simmons. I just really don't want to do anything. You know, I take walks, and I take drives, and, you know, I just you know, go out and get some fresh air, and I have a gym upstairs, and I've been working out in my gym. So, three things. First, if he's trying to convince everyone he's not being held hostage by his maid, a weird phone call is the worst way to do it. It's like the biggest Hollywood trope. Someone calls to say, everything's fine, I'm great, and then you cut to the shot that reveals the kidnapper holding a gun to his head. I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm just saying. Second, At the time of this call, it was over two years of total withdrawal. I don't think that qualifies as me time anymore. He's entitled to spend his time however he wants, but to not acknowledge that something bigger is going on just felt false. And just to be crystal clear on this, I'm assuming for now that that something bigger is not sickness. I've known Richard's manager for a few years now and asked him off the record really early on in this process if there was something serious going on, like illness so that I would know just to leave it be. But he still said no, he's fine. And he still maintains that. And finally, why no video? What's that about? Let me put this into perspective for you. Here's a video Richard posted once of himself playing the harmonica at the airport. I'm at the airport. Here's a video Richard posted of himself trying out the massage chair at the Palm Royal Car Wash in West Hollywood. By the way, I've been to that car wash. My dog got sick all over the back seat, and they refused to help me clean it, and I'd like to use this opportunity to shame them for it. But that's not the point. The point is that Richard Simmons knows how to use the video feature on his iPhone. Why wouldn't he want to be seen? Um, did you hear the phone call? 
the Today Show? Yeah. I'm hanging out in L.A. with Dave Garcia, the Slimmons alum who's been one of the most vigilant followers of the whole Richard disappearing story. What did you think? Well, the first, the first thing I felt was this sort of, like this little trickling of relief because I hadn't heard his voice in a couple of years and it felt really good to hear his voice. Then it, and then it turned into, great, he's okay. We're all super overjoyed. That's all we wanted to hear. But why did it take so long for him to say that? Why did it take two years? When he, he knew that people were worrying about, about him. It's a good question. In fact, besides why he disappeared, I would say it is the question. He knew that people were concerned. And for two years, he didn't say anything. And I think that if there wasn't the New York Daily News story and the press that came after that, he probably wouldn't have said anything still. And that's, that's hurtful. In a way, the concern that he was violently depressed or catatonic or even being held hostage, at least it was a reason. But if he's fine, if he's home just taking walks and exercising and hanging out, Look, Richard Simmons should spend his time any way he wants. I really believe that. But all he has to do is say goodbye. Why won't he give that to people? It's the easiest thing in the world to do. A one-line email, a two-second phone call. Why won't he give that to them, to David? It's not that it's wrong, exactly. It's just confusing. Why would you do that to a friend, especially a friend whose life you've changed? This is what David looked like uh, not too long ago. And here he is now. Please welcome our friend, David Garcia. Richard helped David in the most positive way possible. And they got to stand on TV together and tell the world. And this is 157 pounds later. One pound at a time. So, all right. One pound. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. As of this morning, it's 159. Wow. You look amazing. But Richard, by the way he left... Intentionally or not, he took some of that away from David. So are you over it now? Is it- no, I'm not over it. Um, but I'm not... Uh, I knew long before he disappeared that but I got to make it work on my own anyway. Uh, <sighs> David and I are racing up a stairwell. How do you feel? That's not easy. Competitive stair racing. Up skyscrapers. That's David's way of making the 160 pounds he lost with Richard stay lost. And without Richard's help. What's the tallest building you've ever run? Sears Tower. You ran up to Sears Tower? Yeah. I remember hitting floor 14 and being like, God damn it, I'm wiped. And being like, oh, only 90, like 89 <laughs> left. But I was at a race in Denver where I saw my first puke. In the stairs. Oh, you saw you saw just the vomit, or you saw somebody actually vomit? No, but it was super fresh. Oh, okay. It was a. Um, David's excitement over puke. That's the sound of a guy who is moving on, or at least starting to. And that's the sound of the Big Easy, where we're headed next in search of Lenny Simmons. That's coming up after the break. Documentary project on Richard Simmons. Hey, get out of here. You get out of here. Get out of here. It's about time. Long overdue. Native New Orleans, long overdue. Yeah. 
We are at the Omni Hotel in the French Quarter of New Orleans, Richard's hometown. The hotel is pretty fancy, although two grand pianos in the lobby seems excessive. Richard stays here when he comes home to visit. Same hotel, same room, every time. It was two, room 216. Have you seen him lately? I'm not. I'm in New Orleans to find Richard's brother, Lenny, and I'm hoping he can get us access to the man himself. But also, if you want to know what made the young Milton Teagle Simmons grow up to be Richard Simmons, this is the place to do it. Bourbon Street. Henry and I are downing an extremely sweet five-liquor punch from plastic grenade-shaped tumblers. That ain't bad. Really good. Richard grew up right in the middle of all this, now a hot mess of strip clubs and drunk tourists, of which Henry is about to become one. Huge lightweight. Do you want to get a jello shot out of an injector? Where? In most places. We are headed to Richard's childhood home. All right, we're close. Can you feel it? What is the address? It's uh, 926. It's a gray, tired-looking building with a single step up to the front door. And it totally screams French Quarter, like Stanley Kowalski's going to throw a bottle at us from the bedroom window. Hello. Hey, what's uh, going on, man? What are you recording? Did you know that Richard Simmons used to live here? Fuck no. Where he grew up. Which one? In this house? 26. Uh, no, he grew up. Two guys are hanging out on the sidewalk, each nursing a fifth of whiskey from plastic bottles. They're either going to rob us or start talking about the voice. Oh my god, this is crazy. So there's the gray one step. So that's how you identify where you are and where your brothers and where the drugs are, by the steps. So this is the gray one step. He lives at the gray one step. They give us the nickel tour of the neighborhood. You guys, we're friends, you're friends. We're cultural attaches. Cultural attaches, flash sisters. So this is the gay block. This is one of them. This is where all the street trade, all the hot gay hustlers, all the drugs. This is this is like this is why we're here. This is the yeah, this is the gayborhood. This is called a Fruit Loop. Sure, it wasn't quite this rough back in Richard's day. People like smoke crack like right there in front of the police station. But it's no accident that the Simmons family lived among the performers and the riffraff and that whole scene. They were that scene. Richard's mother, Shirley, was a fan dancer, a four foot ten erotic dancer who artfully hid her bits and bobs with big feathery fans. Richard's dad was a club MC by training, but mostly unemployed. They lived modestly, and despite the fringy way they made their living, or maybe in penance for it, they were pretty devoted Catholics at the cathedral down the block, where you gotta dodge drunks and jazz buskers just to light a candle. So Richard used to work here. We're in front of a place called Leah's, a tiny praline shop. Is it praline or praline? There's debate on the internet, I looked. Richard worked here when he was eight, a block from his house. He was literally a kid in a candy store, selling pralines to people on the street. If you were eight years old and working in a praline store, would you blame your young self for being 250 pounds? I would literally have been inhaling this whole thing. When you walk into Richard's mother's house... Woody Frazier has known Richard for 35 years. There are three refrigerators filled with food. In the house? Yeah. 
Then you have the normal refrigerator in the kitchen. She was always making shrimp, always making some form of New Orleans meal for him. Eat, eat, eat. Wow. So he was, he didn't have a chance. Richard is always a fat person trying to get out. And that's where his angst, his compassion comes from. When I was growing up in New Orleans, Louisiana. Here's Richard with Katie Couric. There was five stores from my house to the Catholic school, St. Louis Cathedral, and I stopped in all five of them. And I ate. And um, then I didn't want anyone to know that I ate, so I'd then take the wrappers and hide them in the Kotex boxes. And you think, you know, you think it's funny, but you know, you don't want your parents to know. And, uh... He was bullied and ashamed and it stuck with him. I didn't think anyone liked me because I was fat, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I didn't particularly like myself. Mm -hmm. Here's Richard with the Sklar brothers. So I began taking diet pills, mm -hmm. and then I moved to 30 laxatives a day. Mm. Wait a minute. Then I moved to throwing up, mm -hmm. and then good. I moved to starving. You know this is a, a comedy months. podcast. I know, but Just I mean, I know that's true, it's real. It's perhaps Richard's biggest irony. The man who preaches sensible weight loss and being kind to yourself lost his weight through anguish. And it almost killed him. And then I went from 268 to 119 pounds. Oh, 268? And I ended up in the hospital pretty sick. Yeah. Because you lost it the wrong way. Well, I lost all that weight in two and a half months. Two oh and a half God. months? Starving. Yeah, water and lettuce. That's why I was in the hospital with kidneys not functioning. Right, sure. You know, problems. And a nurse asked me a question that sort of changed my whole life, and that was, do you want to live or do you want to die? That moment, it motivated everything from that day forward. Let me ask you something. Dr. You Ruth in the house. Side note, it's amazing the random people who had talk shows over the years. And Richard was on all of them. Now, is it true that you wanted to be a priest? I was in the seminary for a year and nine months. The food was... Terrible. <laughs> as absurd as Father Richard Simmons might seem, it kind of totally makes sense. The devotion to purpose and mission of just straight up helping people. I like it because I also like what they wear. Because, you know, when you enter the seminary and you're over 200 pounds, those things look great on you. I mean, you know, you can your eat your way and never get a new cassock. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I felt that I could, my pulpit could be bigger, I guess. I just felt that I could help God and help the world by doing what I really wanted to do. I know some of you want this very bad. This is an old Richard infomercial. A huge crowd at a mall in Massachusetts. The audience is transfixed. People are milling about the stage behind him, all while he preaches. I know some of you are living in a body that you don't want to live in anymore. Let tonight, let right now be your starting day. I'm not a product of the fall. I'm not a product of, of sin. I, I think he was taking a page from the playbook of the other TV preachers of the day. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, Jimmy Swagger, all those kooks. I want some people to come up who promised that they're going to start now. And Richard went all in, full-on tent revival. What's wrong? Come here. Come here. Richard pulls a crying woman from the crowd. Her name's Joni. Oh, I always loved you, and I always admired what you've done for so many people. And, 
and I just lost my husband at Christmas time, and I've been so sad, and all I do is eat. And I, this is my last chance. I really wanted you to try to help me, and I know I can do it now. We're all here to help you. Thank you. We're all here to help her, aren't we? Aren't we? Richard met Joni that night for the first time, but he never forgot her. In a moment, well, I'm so glad to talk to you. You've been on my mind for a while now. Well, that's nice. I, it was such a shocking surprise to get the phone call, and, and you know, after all these years and everything. I even that is Joni, 20 years later. And I heard it on the radio, and they were announcing that he was going to be at the local mall. And I thought, oh, my God, I love Richard Simmons. And there were hundreds of people there. And then he actually came out, and everybody's screaming, and, and I thought, oh, my God, I'll never get near Richard Simmons close enough to get a picture. But she did. And it, I tell everybody, it was like the Red Seas parted, because all of a sudden, all these people in front of us just kind of moved aside. My daughter grabs me by the hand and pulls me up on the stage. And she met Richard. Tears were shed. She took a picture with him, the whole deal. It was, it was really a marvelous experience. But that's not the part that gets me. This is. After that mall trip, um, you know, I thought I'd never see him again in my life. And I was in work again maybe a couple of weeks later. And my nephew, who worked for a local newspaper, called up and said, um, Richard Simmons is looking for you. And I, and I started to laugh. And I said, yeah, sure. Dave, what, what are you talking about? And he said, we're printing the Enterprise right now. And your picture is on the front page. And the, the headline says, where's Joni? And the whole thing was that once he had left me, he never got my name and address. And he was wondering how I was doing. So they put this ad on the front page of the local newspaper trying to find out who I was and what my name and address was. Joan, that's bananas. <laughs> yeah, it was bananas, let me tell you. I mean, she dropped 100 pounds. And they've been friends ever since, right up until he disappeared. It's really hard to wrap my head around that, like... So it's one thing for him to be incredibly empathetic and kind and caring when you're there. Yeah. But then yeah. to think that it's over and you're gone and you've gone back to your life and he's gone back to the Hollywood Hills. Absolutely. And that he's still thinking about you. And from 1995, that has stuck with me the rest of my life. I think he's truly made me into a better person. That is what makes Richard Simmons different. It wasn't just fame. He was on a crusade. Richard Simmons believes because he's lived it. He was fat and he lacked self-worth, but he was born again. He found the answer and he's going to help you find it too. Am I going too far with this religion thing? Because honestly, I don't think you can. And I'm hoping that the committee today will know there is no other way to do this or our children will get more sick. This is Richard in 2008 testifying before Congress about obesity. And there's a statistic that says our children today will not live as long as their parents. What have we done? What have we done to the kids of the United States of America? This is wrong. I do not want any child in America to have my childhood because it was taken away from me because I just wasn't good enough. Well, I'm good enough now. I'm 60 years old now, and I've devoted my life to this, and I will devote my life to this to the day I die. God bless you all, and God bless the children of America. 
Thank you very much. Thank you. So how did that guy become this guy? I just really don't want to do anything. You know, I take walks and I take drives and, you know, I just, you know, go out and get some fresh air and I have a gym upstairs. Richard's brother Lenny is one of the only people left who might know the answer. Turns out Lenny lives in a planned community about 10 miles from the French Quarter. The guys who built that place, they love a good gazebo. Assuming it runs in the family, we brace ourselves for the onslaught of crazy energy. Can I help you? Hi, uh, I'm Dan. Oh, I sent you that email last week. Uh, never called me. Oh. I guess we should have called. Hello. Hi. I'm the guy who just made a huge mistake by coming to your door instead of calling first. Okay. Next time on Missing Richard Simmons. He's not angry with anybody. I don't understand it. I wish he did. There are people that have got some huge wounds, and opening those wounds up is a dicey kind of thing. It was a perfect world for one week. A freedom like you cannot even imagine. What is his responsibility to people like Kathy, who he was working with as a therapist? Never as a therapist. He didn't have anybody sign anything, or he didn't pretend to be something he wasn't. Missing Richard Simmons is a co-production of Pineapple Street Media, First Look Media, and Stitcher. We'll be back next week with another episode, or if you can't wait that long, you can hear the next one right now on Stitcher Premium. To find out more, visit missingrichardsimmons.com. Missing Richard Simmons is produced by Henry Milofsky and me, Dan Tabersky. Additional production, research, and fact-checking by Diane Hodson. Joel Lovell is our editor. Our music gets by Andrew Dost. We also use the song Montage from the motion picture Swiss Army Man by composers Andy Hull and Robert McDowell. This episode was mixed by Whitney Jones. Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky are the executive producers at Pineapple Street. Thanks also to Barry Finkel, Ricky Nowitzki, and Josh Gwynn. The team at First Look Media is Adam Pincus, Lee Talmalad, Nick Bornstein, and Lisa Leingang. Hey, quick favor. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes. It means a lot, and it's also a nice way to let other people discover the show. Thanks. Also, we have been receiving tons of amazing riches stories from you on our voicemail. Thank you. They're extremely touching. Please keep them coming because they make a difference. You can leave us a message at 402-93-SWEAT. That's 402-937-9328. And again, a huge thank you to all the folks at Slimmons and Friends of Richard who trusted me to tell this story. And remember what Richard says. Take a moment every day to find peace. Pull over to the side of the road, turn off the radio, and find peace.